Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we use intersectional feminism, mindfulness, leadership, and strategy to support smart women to change the world without anxiety, insecurity, and burnout. On the show, we challenge the status quo and support you to unlearn harmful messages that keep you playing small so you can activate your superpowers and live with joy, confidence, and ease. I'm your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hello, hello, well women. Welcome back to the show. On the show this month, I'll interview reproductive rights leader, Joan Lamanian Sanford, executive director of the New Mexico Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, the local connection to a national community of religious organizations and faithful individuals dedicated to achieving reproductive justice through education, organizing, and advocacy. Joan has worked with clergy and faith leaders for 20 years to shift the conversation about abortion toward compassionate support of women's access to a full range of reproductive health services, including abortion. Joan graduated from University of New Mexico in 1984 with a bachelor's in education. All the notes from this episode can be found at wellwomanlife.com slash 296 show. The Well Woman Show is thankful for support from the Well Woman Academy at wellwomanlife.com slash academy. Join us in the academy for community mindfulness tools and and practical support to live your well woman life. Now to my interview with Joan Lamanian Sanford. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Giovanni. Good to talk with you again. You too. And Joan, let's just start off by having you share with listeners who are you in the world today? That's a really good question. So I'm the director of the New Mexico Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, which is a, a member of the affiliate network. People um, may not be aware that our national, the National Religious Coalition, separated itself from its state affiliates in December of 2021. So I got into this work, be careful what you volunteer for story. My family attended the Methodist Church regularly. My mom was a nurse and Although it's not that, it's more common now in 1958 when she and my dad married, she kept her birth name and I asked her why once and she said, well, I'm a professional and that's the name on my nursing license. She worked until I was born, actually, and went back to work when my younger brother started first grade, which also I think was unusual in the 60s. I asked her once why nursing, and she said, well, it was the first scholarship that got her off of that damn dairy farm. (laughs) And she loved it. You know, there weren't a lot of professions open to women in the 50s. My dad always supported her as a professional. You know, we learned how to get dinner started before she got home. So being part of the what was then the New Mexico Religious Coalition for Abortion Rights was just a, a natural fit. You know, I had these great role models of women's independence and autonomy, and also grounded in my faith at that time in the Methodist Church. When I was still married to my children's father, we moved to Gallup, New Mexico, and that was the first time I had been that far away from my family. You know, we could afford a long-distance phone call, you know, on Sunday afternoon. And so once my son was born, I continued attending the Methodist Church because it felt like I was in the same place as my family. If not literally, then spiritually, we were all in the same place. And like a lot of Protestant churches, the Methodist Church has women's Bible study groups that meet monthly. So when we 
returned to Albuquerque, I continued to attend the Methodist Church and and the monthly meetings with a, a study group. And there was a speaker one time from the Religious Coalition for abortion rights. And I thought, wow, this is this is what I've been looking for to, you know, to volunteer, to to spend some of my time. And, you know, I started as a phone bank volunteer. And later when Ms. Foundation had some small capacity building grants, we applied and there was enough for me to work half time as a, a physical education teacher and half time for uh, what then had transitioned to the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. And now, you know, we've moved out of my den. We have (laughs) a staff of about half a dozen, some full, some part-time. And, you know, we're doing great work as both an abortion fund and uh, as a, a partner, you know, with other organizations around the state in advocacy work to make sure that New Mexico remains a safe haven for people seeking abortion care. Yes, great. Thank you for that background, because I think it's, it's very interesting and important to know the history of how, how leaders ended up where they are. Not that this is the end for you, but where, where you are now. And so, Joan, you mentioned a few things that I want to just kind of dive into a little bit. And um, just to say, you and I have known each other a long time. We probably met when you did have that small grant in your den, you know, and now you've grown into this much larger operation. And so when we met, I was actually the statewide director of a reproductive rights organization that no longer exists in New Mexico, NARAL Pro-Choice New Mexico. And it's interesting to reflect on sort of where we are and where we were 20 years ago. And in some ways, a lot of the work is the same, and you know, even more than 20 years, right? But one thing I want to just notice is the word abortion being taken out of the name of the organization. And that happened also with, with NARAL. It was, you know, NARAL stood for a long name that included the word abortion. And then they took that away and just called, started saying pro-choice. What do you think about that? And, and do you think that resistance to the word abortion has contributed to our collective issue around having, you know, obviously Roe v. Wade ultimately overturned recently? I think so. I think that, you know, we and we're seeing that also with, you know, a movement to encourage President Biden, you know, just say the word, Joe, just say the word abortion. There's still so much shame and stigma attached to abortion. And that's why saying abortion is health care is such a great thing to be saying, right? And and there's a yeah. movement towards saying that lately. It is. It's it's just, you know, it's health care. It's safe. I believe that except for people who require, you know, very specialized abortion care, if there are complications, I would like to see that anyone could go to their primary healthcare provider, whether that's family practice, advanced practice clinician, like a, a nurse practitioner, or an OBGYN, a nurse midwife. I would like people just to go to their regular healthcare provider and be able to get abortion care and not have to go to a clinic, you know, by, by carving out routine care like this in in a, a clinic setting, it increases that shame and stigma. Yeah. I would love to see medication abortion. You know, some there's a movement, you know, we have plan B contraception 
and now plan C. So I would love to see that self-managed abortion with misoprostol and mifepristone would be available over the counter at the at the pharmacy. It's that safe that gives people more options, it's more affordable and keeps it for a more private if that's what someone wants. Yeah, and so certainly reclaiming the word and framing it within sort of mainstream healthcare would be a good thing, it seems. It, it's been tough to do because of the framing of all kinds of other things. What do you think, and I know you're extremely busy right now helping other folks access an abortion in New Mexico because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, but actually you were doing that before as well. Can you talk a little bit about what you were doing before and then how it's changed? Yeah. One of my first couple of years as director of the Religious Coalition, we partnered with Planned Parenthood. It was Planned Parenthood of New Mexico, and they were needing escorts at the San Mateo Clinic. And so we trained and and provided some escorts to help women safely get, you know, from their cars into the clinic without having to listen to or interact with people shouting at them and heaping, you know, shame and stigma on them. And I had a call one morning from a Presbyterian faith leader who said there, there are a couple of women here. They've come from uh, the rural part of the state. They didn't know they were going to need to stay overnight and they have no place to stay. What are we going to do? We need to do something about this. And so we did. New Mexico had just started including abortion care in Medicaid as a result of NARAL Pro-Choice New Mexico and some other groups suing the state of New Mexico. And, you know, our state Supreme Court agreed that, yes, abortion is health care and should be considered so in our Medicaid and, and paid for just the way other health care is paid for. But caseworkers and the Medicaid providers were st- There hadn't been any rules or regulations written until Governor Richardson came on board. So we started providing a place to stay for people. You know, New Mexico is such a highly rural state. All the clinics at that time were just in Albuquerque. And so we started doing what the National Network of Abortion Funds calls practical support. I don't know how I found the network, but it's just been one of the best collaborations and partnerships we've ever had and continues to be. And so they gave us some guidance and we started providing through volunteers a place for people to stay overnight, rides to and from their appointment from a a hotel and some meal vouchers. Can I just say, I I just want to really emphasize this because you could easily sort of think, oh my gosh, now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned, you know, uh, New Mexico, we're okay here. Like we're okay in New Mexico. And now, of course, we're going to be helping people coming in from other states. But actually, New Mexico has a, most counties have zero you know, zero abortion providers. So we've been dealing with this issue of people not being able to access abortion care for many, many years. And so you are, you have this experience helping uh, women access the care they need with the, with the vouchers and the hotels and all the things that transportation. And, and so I assume you're continuing to do this for New Mexico, for New Mexicans, but also 
for other people coming in from other states. Yeah, we are. You know, we there was less and less of a need for us to assist people in New Mexico because, um, like you said, there are most counties have no abortion providers, but also most counties don't have a lot of medical specialists. And so Medicaid knows that that if someone's going to see a cardiologist, they have to pay to get them to Albuquerque, and they know how to do that. And because abortion is health care, they also pay to get somebody to Albuquerque to see an abortion provider. So there are still people in New Mexico that need our assistance, definitely, but fewer and fewer. New Mexico is a very poor state and a very large state. And it's you're right, it's still not easy to have to miss work and take a couple days to drive on our rural highways, you know, over the continental divide for people, you know, across this, the staked plains in the eastern part of the state just to get to Albuquerque. Now people can go to Las Cruces or Santa Fe as well, but it is easier than it it is for people in other states. And then, you know, after the murder of Dr. Tiller, the Southwestern Women's Options started taking care of patients who need an abortion later in pregnancy. And those are mostly coming from out of state. And so then we saw an increase in the need for people from out of state who might be here for two or three days and uh, yeah. and had to learn how to change how to, you know, how we did things to make sure that we're still providing that kind of beloved community of support. And, and you know, that's because we're a faith-rooted organization, that's why we do abortion funding, not in spite of, but because, you know, it's almost universal across faith traditions yep. that we provide shelter and food and care for one another. And so that's what we do. And Joan, how does your faith support you to have resilience and hope and and ultimately move into action post Roe v. Wade. These are hard times. I try to remind myself I am not personally responsible for getting everyone in Texas to New Mexico for abortion care. We have amazing, strong partners in the network, including our partners here in New Mexico, the uh, Indigenous Women Rising and Mari Posafund, who who really have have taken huge leadership in in providing support for people who traditionally kind of fall through the cracks in the Medicaid safety net, who because of their reliance on the federal government for health care or because they're undocumented may not, you know, they don't qualify for Medicaid. So those two organizations have just taken a huge, huge leap in support. And we're, we're so grateful to work with them and have their support and collaboration. You know, I think for me, it's that I trust the people coming here for abortion care, that, that they have, you know, if they're a person of faith, they have prayed on this, they've made a thoughtful, prayerful decision. And it would be wrong for me to assume that that my whatever conversation I have with with God or or the divine is that I know better. So in trusting them, I'm also trusting God. I'm also trusting 
that they have heard whatever it is that that their understanding of God is. And and it would be wrong for me to assume that that my whatever conversation I have with with God or or the divine is that I know better. So in trusting them, I'm also trusting God. I'm also trusting that they have heard whatever it is that that their understanding of God is. And and it would be unethical and in some ways sinful for me to to come between them and that decision. Okay. I'm speaking with Joan Lamanian Sanford, Executive Director of the New Mexico Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. And we'll be right back. You're invited to join me for a brand new monthly group experience over in the Well Woman Academy. This is a monthly group that includes access to the full six-week course based on feminism, mindfulness, and the Well Woman Life Framework. It includes weekly groups coaching sessions with me, as well as office hours and a private Facebook group to share and grow. Don't get me wrong, this is hard work. But with these tools, you will easily find the time to do the course, get the coaching, and reach your goals monthly. If you find yourself worrying about whether you'll ever make it in the thing you're pursuing, waking up in the middle of the night with anxiety, lacking the energy you need to get everything done, stuck in some aspect of leading your team, procrastinating on moving forward with projects and tasks, or in a leadership role but second-guessing yourself constantly, I'd love to introduce you to the Well Woman Academy. It's for smart, high-achieving women changing the world who want to overcome anxiety, burnout, perfectionism, and insecurity. The result? You get to live your well woman life, a life of joy, ease, and abundance, even when things are tough all around you. Visit wellwomanlife.com slash academy to learn more. We're back on the Well Woman Show. Joan, we are going into the segment called Superpowers for Success, which allows listeners to get to know you a little bit better as a leader. Um, And we like to lift up leaders who are working on equity and justice and a whole number of things, uh, women who are breaking through barriers and doing things that nobody else has done, uh, uh, just being innovative and creative in, in how you, and how you lead. Um, And so I want to ask you a, a few quick questions here. We only have a few minutes left, but I want to ask you, what does success in life mean for you? Well, I think that means that, that, you know, I can look myself in the mirror every day and know that I've done the best that I, I can. And that in doing the best that I can, that I have followed and made decisions according to, to my faith and values, but also in making those decisions, I'm, I'm so aware that I don't know I don't have all the answers. And so it's, it's really important for me to lean on, on the counsel uh, of other people that, that I know and trust and that know me more and more. Those are people um, who are newer, younger to this movement than I am. Good. Okay. And Joan, you've been doing this for a long time. When did you know you were really good at what you do? I think that's something I'm still working on, you know, myself. I think, I think as women, we're, 
we're socialized not to trust ourselves that we're that we're good at things i think that when we passed the the legislation that requires health ed to be required as part of graduation for high school i think that we when we passed our state level anti human trafficking legislation those kind of successes that were based on collaboration with other partners um those felt like success okay and Joan, can you describe a personal habit that contributes to your own well-being so that you can show up in the world the way you do? I'm not, you know, I'm not a morning person. I try to have a really consistent routine in the evening mm. where um, my partner and I have dinner and I just really love a nice long hot bath in the evening before I go to bed to kind of help me reset and read something completely irrelevant to my work, you know, to to read a novel or to look at mindless, you know, funny YouTube videos or something like yeah. that. Um, Love it. So that I just kind of reset before yeah. I go to sleep at night. That's a good one. Just a couple more questions. What advice would you give your younger self, say 25-year-old Joan? Ah, I would say to trust my I, my gut that red flags in a relationship are really red flags and to not be afa- afraid to make uh, changes in relationships that aren't working and to do it sooner rather than later. Good advice. And the theme of trust keeps coming up here. So... That's a big one for, uh, for women. And just a couple more questions. Do you identify as a feminist? I do. Yes. What does that mean for you? Well, I think it means that, well, especially, you know, going back to the connection, you know, with my work in a faith rooted organization that I see over and over the way religion is used to, um, to justify patriarchy, even though that is may or, you know, may not be a core value of that of Christianity, or, or monotheistic faiths, you know, patriarchy and misogyny are all related when it comes to homophobia and transphobia, and, and so many things that that cause real harm in the world. And, and so to, to me, being a feminist means not allowing, you know, continuing to push back and fight against that patriarchal, those patriarchal structures that yes. only men, only white, cisgendered, heterosexual men are the only ones who's, who, you know, can make decisions. Yeah. Okay. Last question for you, Joan, what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? You mentioned some reading, some light reading uh, in your pastime. What, what are you reading right now? What, you know, I, I have actually recently discovered audiobooks. One, one thing that I, I, I both read and listened to is um, green, the Green Mile, I think it's called. Um, it's a story. It's a true story 
of the fastest raft in the old-fashioned wooden dinghies that that general that went all the way back to General Powell when they first navigated the Colorado River down the uh, Grand Canyon, and these rogue bunch of river guides set the record, the speed record for um, going all the way from their um, uh, the the uh, push-off point in the right at the top of the Grand Canyon and all the way through to the end. Oh wow! It's a it's interesting the the writing is you can just see it's so beautiful so descriptive okay and um the way the writer goes into both the personalities of these rogue river rafters and then the the personalities of the engineers that are trying to keep the water from overflowing the dam and causing you know a huge uh catastrophe at the same time is just fascinating. Oh, okay. Well, well, we always like to link to books that our guests are reading. So we will do that. And uh, Joan Lemonian Sanford, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you. It's always a pleasure talking to you. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your well woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com. As a reminder, we are on NPR every week. So be sure to tune in at npr.org slash podcasts and search for The Well Woman Show. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment and subscribe and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.